0: morning everyone I don't know if that was clear in that announcement but it's not just a potluck at the Donald's it'll be the typical 4th of July party that we have at the Donald's so if you've come to that before plan on uh, coming for potluck and hopefully stay in much of the evening or is, is there fireworks Are we ha- haven't around maybe at our place again will it be as exciting as that year when they all lit themselves on the table and shot out all the children no oh man that was a thrilling year. Okay. We'll, we'll just we'll hope maybe we'll have something that exciting again all right let's pray father thank you for your word we thank you for this church and i thank you as an elder for the privilege of serving you and serving these people here and we desire to take this church in the direction that pleases you and we would see that as one that is in accordance with your word not one that would um, satisfy our agenda or vision really we hope it's one that's grounded in scripture So as we continue to talk about the vision of the church and so we understand um, why we do things we do and the direction that we take and feel led, we pray, Lord, that it would be from you and that it would be in agreement with your word. And I, I believe that to be the case, Lord. This is a settled issue for me, what we're talking about this morning, the purpose of the worship service and who it's for and who it's not for and what our primary mission as a church should look like. And so help us Um, To embrace this, Lord, assuming that this is rightly dividing your word, this uh, conclusion that I've come to, I pray that it would bear witness to all of your people here, Lord. Should I be wrong in anything here, I pray it wouldn't bear witness, and perhaps you'd even um, prevent me, restrain me from saying something incorrect during the sermon, because I do think this is so such a divided issue. I mean, so many churches that have gone another direction than this, Lord. But uh, to me, I I feel very comfortable with with what I'll be sharing, Lord. Help it to um, bear witness to your people, and pray you'd use me as your vessel to deliver the truth from your word I I thank you for this time and pray you can be pleased with it and we ask this in Jesus name amen 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 the title of this morning's sermon is equip the Saints versus seeker sensitive equip the Saints versus seeker sensitive so a couple months ago we talked we began talking about the vision for our church and so this isn't so much a time to define our theology and our doctrine you can look at our statement of faith to see that there's really a time to talk about why we do certain things the way we do and why there are certain things that we don't do as a church and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning and in particular um, why we choose as a church on sunday mornings to equip the saints for the work of the ministry versus to be a seeker sensitive church that sees the sunday morning service as a time for uh, the lost to be focused on now that term seeker sensitive it's an umbrella term that encompasses lots of different churches and lots of different practices and so we're we're not talking about just one way of doing things we're talking about many churches uh, and many that would do things better than other churches under this umbrella and many that would do things worse and so the things that I'll share this morning you shouldn't uh, understand these as applying to every single church that's seeker sensitive but uh, I do believe that what I'm saying is fairly accurate to those churches that would label themselves this way or see themselves under that umbrella but that's not really the the point of this sermon there's a verse in Jude where Paul is talking about contending for the faith and I almost see this as one time to do that I don't like to put down other churches that's not the the point of this sermon instead the point is to help you understand why we're not doing things a certain way and why we choose to do them uh, the way that we are now the other day I read this quote that I thought was very fitting when a church changes biblical truths and standards to match current culture that church is no longer following the Bible that church is following the lost and I thought that's a very good description of what happens with many seeker sensitive churches and this brings us to lesson one we don't want to be seeker sensitive because lesson one it typically means pleasing man versus God it typically means pleasing man versus God The seeker-sensitive movement or seeker-sensitive churches are trying to give people what they want versus giving God what he wants. And so the focus of the seeker-sensitive movement is very man-centered versus being Christ-centered. Bob Burney, and I thought you could listen to one man who shares his own testimony about it, is a a pastor, a church planner. He's a radio show host. You can look him up. And he described what it was like being trained to be a seeker sensitive church and he said the size of the crowd rather than the depth of the heart determines success if the crowd was large then surely god was blessing the ministry churches were built by demographic studies professional strategists marketing research meeting felt needs and sermons consistent with these techniques we are told that preaching was out and relevance was in Doctrine didn't matter nearly as much as innovation. If it wasn't cutting-edge and consumer-friendly, it was doomed. The mention of sin, salvation, and sanctification were taboo, and they were replaced with Starbucks, strategy, and sensitivity. So seeker-sensitive churches, they're going to use whatever means would be most attractive to the lost or to the unchurched, or we would say the most attractive to unbelievers to reach them which generally means making the church what or feel what or seem what yes as worldly comfortable i mean that's why the the previous sermon helped lay the foundation for this one that holiness must be that boundary that separates the church from the world and that there must be this very clear distinction that exists between the world and the church and so the seeker sensitive movement would, would literally do things oppositely of the way that i discussed in that previous sermon where we would see the need for holiness to create that boundary between the church and the world seeker sensitive churches would want to remove that boundary as much as possible so that the church looks like the world or so that the church is more attractive to the world uh, so that the inside looks just like the outside and so we need to keep things very interesting they have to be exciting they have to be inviting we have to ensure that nothing is offensive to anyone and so there could be uh, theatrics um, drama entertainment are the norm to keep the services uh, fun and exciting and interesting there are thousands of dollars that can be spent on state-of-the-art lighting and sound now with that said we do we do think lighting and sound are important we have spent money ourselves to improve the lighting in here i remember when i first came i thought it was fairly dark and many people complained to me about that and some people complained about the sound and so we improved our sound system but i think our motivation behind it was so that people we improved the lighting so people could see their bibles on their laps uh, take notes a little easier and we improved the sound so that people could hear the sermons better not so that our plays and our videos and so forth were were more engaging because many of the traditional elements of church services are not going to be attractive to believers they're going to be removed and so when the seeker sensitive movement began I think it's important to understand how many decades of church history were largely thrown out the window you got 2,000 years of church history and we're only looking at something that's taken place over the last few decades for most of church history many of the things that were the norm are no longer the norm in these churches so when you are are, uh, attend one of their services you're not going to have scripture reading you're not going to have hymns you're not going to have lengthy sermons you're going to have sermons and i might even be using that phrase loosely that resemble uh, devotions or devotionals more than anything else communion we'll probably talk more about communion in in a later sermon maybe next week but communion is something that I've noticed has largely been removed in seeker-sensitive churches. It's, uh, it might be removed from the Sunday morning worship altogether. It might become more infrequent to the church we were a part of. They, had not, they didn't even have communion. You could not even attend a Sunday morning with communion. It was moved to the midweek service and then only once per month. And so something that in the early church that played such a sense, I mean, consider that for a moment. I think it's Acts... Um, is Acts 20, verse 7, I believe, where it discusses the early church weekly having communion together, something that played such a central role in the early church, largely being removed from church services, worship services altogether. Grace to You, which is John MacArthur's ministry, wrote, It is all the rage today. If your church is struggling to reach people and be relevant, then do away with preaching, do away with hymns, do away with anything traditional instead do what successful corporations do give people what they want give them a hip environment give them convenient services lots of contemporary music or drama Maybe maybe a catchy campaign downplay doctrine or christian lingo if you must preach keep it short keep it upbeat that is the seeker sensitive church movement that's rapidly transforming countless congregations now i'll just tell you there's no secret as a pastor what is attractive we don't you don't have to wonder as a pastor what will allow your church to grow numerically you know there are books about it which i'll talk about in just a moment That tell you hey if you want a big church this is what you do so i mean when we get together as elders or when we talk about what our church wants to look like we literally make decisions that we know are unattractive to the world we have literally decided to do things certain ways in this church because we believe it is what God's want God wants or what the Bible prescribes knowing that it will not bring in as many unregenerate people because those are not our concern the concern is to provide a service for believers to worship the Lord there's nobody has to go to seminary or get or get an MDiv or something to figure out what would allow your church to become you know the biggest and have the most number of people but that should never be the question right and so we understand some you know you you even sacrifice in coming here we know it's very nice to go into your church and grab your coffee and have someone snatch up your kids for two or three hours for you and then to get to sit back and listen to something that talks about how good your life is going to be so even just in coming here i can appreciate that you guys do that knowing that there are lots of other churches that could be considerably more attractive, considerably more comfortable and considerably uh, make you feel considerably better about yourself than than this church does. The seeker sensitive movement along those lines, it has not only changed the way that worship services take place, it has also changed the way that church churches end up being planted. And what I mean by that is the seeker sensitive movement it pioneered this whole new method of church planting that involved sending out these surveys to the community and asking as many people as you can generally as many unchurched people or unbelievers as you can uh, about what they would like what would you enjoy what would you like to see in a church to make those people want to come they'd conduct these studies of the demographics unbelievers unchurched people are asked what they want and then this new church is built on those answers and so just think about that for a moment you're having a church. That is literally built on the desires of unregenerate people you're asking unbelievers who hate god what would you want a church to look like and then trying to make a church that satisfies the desires of the unredeemed that's what's happening the most influential book in this movement it was the purpose-driven church by rick warren now some years back i think it might have been pretty early and uh when i went into ministry i'd heard so much about this book i thought that i should familiarize myself with it And so I started reading it. I think I only got a few chapters into it, and I don't even consider myself to be the most discerning at that time, but I was convicted that this is not the way to do things because the constant question throughout that book was the same. It was chapter after chapter of asking, what does man want? Chapter after chapter, what will please man? What will make him feel best when he comes in the doors of the church? I can't think of one chapter that ever asked the right question, which was, what does God want? what does his word say what would be in agreement with scripture what would he tell churches to do I mean if we're coming together to please God shouldn't we ask that question shouldn't we want to know what he would want us doing and I didn't see one single chapter that asked that question now just last month not surprisingly Rick Warren if some of you noticed he ordained at least three women in his church I wasn't personally very surprised I don't say that to sound uh, accusing but if you're already intent on satisfying the world doing what the world does letting the world come into your church well then when the world becomes more feminist when the world is pushing the destruction of the line between the genders or uh, not just blurring it but when the line between the genders is removed so much that men can become women women can become men and you're and you're pursuing the world or trying to bring the world into the church and it's only a matter of time until you start denying the roles between men and women you start denying that there's any difference or distinction between the roles and responsibilities of men versus the roles and responsibilities of women you stop being complementarian you start being egalitarian or perhaps even transgender it you know it wasn't that long ago first it's women becoming pastors and now you don't even have to be heterosexual to be a pastor You can be homosexual to be a pastor it won't be that long before you can be transgender to be a pastor so i wasn't i wasn't surprised to see this but i just hope that some of those people that had jumped on that bandwagon are able to look back and say maybe that's a bandwagon that we should get off maybe that's not what we should be doing you can probably guess how preaching ends up being negatively effective as soon as you're concerned about how unbelievers feel not wanting them to be uncomfortable, giving them what they want, inevitably you're going to be tempted to preach sermons that what? Are about prosperity. You're going to preach on happiness and, uh, you know, your best life now. That's what God wants for you he'll fulfill your wildest dreams you're not going to talk about sin you're not going to talk about repentance you're not going to talk about holiness you're not going to talk about hell you're not going to talk about God's wrath or judgment you're not going to talk about how we need to be forgiven for our sins because you don't want to tell people that they're sinners you're not going to talk about the exclusivity of Christ because that sounds too exclusive you cannot talk about Christ being the narrow way because as soon as you say the narrow way then you're acknowledging that there's a whole bunch of people on the wide way that leads to destruction and that is just too condemning You cannot talk about these other religions that are wrong you'll sound like a bigot you will sound hateful so you, you will not tell people that jesus is the only way to heaven you won't preach on coming to christ to be saved for your sins instead you'll tell people you need to come to christ because when you do you will not believe how much better your life will be he is going to give you everything that you've ever wanted your your job's going to be better your relationships are going to be better your finances are going to be better your health is going to be better your family's going to be better (laughs) when Jesus actually said you could come to Christ and your family could be worse mine was since God uh, God has since then redeemed my relationship with my my parents dramatically but I didn't know at that time in fact it, it seemed like maybe we wouldn't talk again and so I'm very thankful for the healing that took place between but most of the rest of my family is still is still Catholic and I don't have much of any relationship with them Instead of tell people your family and relationships are going to be better when the opposite could very well happen. To tell people their lives are going to be better and just follow this for a second. If you tell people you need to come to Christ because then you do, your life is going to be better, well, what happens when those people experience trials? What happens when they lose their job? What happens when they lose a loved one? What happens when they experience betrayal or rejection? What happens when they get that diagnosis? Well, there's only a few possibilities, isn't there? If they've been led to believe that all jesus wants to do is make their life better well then he's not doing what he said he was going to do and jesus is a liar you told me that jesus was going to make me happy and i am unhappy so he is a liar or another possibility is jesus just doesn't love me like he loves everyone else because if what you said is true and he's not doing that for me then there must be something wrong with me why doesn't he want to bless me like he wants to bless everyone else or the third possibility is it's just all a lie christianity is false it's not true but those are the only three possible conclusions that people can come to when they have heard the prosperity gospel and then they experience trials and for many people it's very it's a it's a train wreck for them nothing just seems to destroy faith if it's if it's I, i hesitate to even use the word faith i don't don't think it's a salvific faith but whatever whatever weak or or uh, faith they had or belief they had ends up being destroyed simply because they were con- and that's what we're told in the parable of the soils what is it that comes and takes that seed that lands on the path it's the trials and tribulations that people experience they'll hold on to that loose faith right up until they experience trials and tribulation and then the devil comes and he just snatches that seed away from them there are a number of well-known seeker sensitive churches i'm going to focus on willow creek if the purpose-driven church is the uh, the premier book in this movement. Then Willow Creek was the premier church in this movement. It was the most influential one. It was pastored by a man named Bill Hybels. Bill Hybels, who recently uh, resigned after allegations of sexual misconduct were brought against him, but prior to his resignation, as recently as you know, just a couple years ago, the attendance at the church maybe it's dropped since his resignation was twenty-four thousand now Bill had this vision for church which was not influenced by God's word instead it was influenced by corporate America the consideration for Bill was what do successful businesses do or what if successful businesses done then that's what we want to do that's the model that we want to follow and if we do then we will be successful and he had this poster outside of his office that said ask these three questions what is our business who is our customer and what does the customer consider value and i was actually reflecting on this poster and it wouldn't really be that bad of a poster for a pastor to have outside his office if what if you answer those questions correctly because they're not really bad questions are they what is our business think of the beginning of the baptist and presbyterian catechisms And you can almost get a perfect answer now those catechisms they ask a question they provide an answer and they both begin with this question what is the chief end of man which is pretty close to what is our business man's chief end or business is to glorify god and to enjoy him forever next who is our customer we can answer that correctly couldn't we we could say our customer is god he is the one that we're trying to please what does god consider value This could be a much longer answer but if we want to answer that god considers valuable those things that he has commanded of believers in his word i don't think this is what bill Heibel's had in mind by that poster outside his office i think when he talked about his customer he was talking about people not god he was referring to man and what man valued and what what man would want now because and I, after the service interestingly Ed Sorensen he told he said I can mention this. Ed came up after service and he remembered when Bill Hybels had made the decision to take the cross down at his church. He didn't want a cross any longer because he thought it would be offensive and I thought the irony of that because the Bible tells us the cross is offensive. So I guess at least Bill took enough of the Bible to heart that he didn't want to be offensive and so he removed the cross which scripture says is offensive to us because willow creek saw itself as a business trying to please man instead of trying to please god they focused on creating these large elaborate programs and activities where the measure of success was the number of people instead of agreement with god's word and they were hugely successful in this goal of growing numerically they grew so much that thousands of churches across the country copied them hoping to experience that same kind of numerical growth now i was either Um, not quite a minister just coming into ministry when I was learning all about Willow Creek and uh, the purpose-driven church or Rick Warren and I'm telling you it just seemed at that season like if one of these men did something thousands of churches across the country would copy them I'm not exaggerating if if what if people are literally pastors is looking to see the next thing that Rick or Bill does with their church because they were so successful and if we do the exact same thing that they do if they do that next week we're going to do it the week after that because then we'll be able to emulate that same amount of numerical growth in our church that they have experienced but one of the problems with following the example of other churches instead of following god's word is that those churches can end up being wrong i mean even as elders as as much as i respect the other elders and i i hope they they'd say they respect me we don't we don't sit and say well what what exactly you know do we think is best we're trying to say what do we think is best based on god's word we're trying to base our decisions on god's word because we know we're fallible we know we we can make mistakes so the question for us is always what do we think god would tell us to do through the scriptures let's make sure that we're doing that but some of these other churches when they have when they have followed men like bill hybels here's what happened Bill, to his credit, acknowledged that he made a mistake, or his church made a mistake, but sadly that it happened after these thousands of other churches had followed him. They conducted, Willow Creek did, a thorough multiple-year study of their ministry, and they found that their programs and activities did not lead to spiritual growth. Now, to Bill's credit, he was open about these findings, and I want to share part of what he said about the results of this study. He said some of the stuff that we put millions of dollars into thinking it would help our people grow and develop spiritually, the data said that it was not helping that much. We made a mistake. When people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started teaching them to take responsibility and become self-feeders. We should have taught people how to read their Bibles between services and do the spiritual practices more aggressively on their own. Well, here's what happened they they were trying to build a church that was attractive to unbelievers and so then they allowed the church to just give all these unbelievers all of the things that they wanted and craved and can we acknowledge that unbelievers are not going to want the same things as believers and and that if the activities and programs are designed to give unbelievers enjoyment then those programs and activities are going to look different than things believers would want because what if you ever have you ever thought about what you have in common with an unbeliever you don't have the spirit in common but you do have the old man in common you we both have the flesh in common and so whenever a believer and an unbeliever meet they're only going to meet or interact or they they're only going to agree along the basis level we're only going to agree on those unspiritual worldly things because we don't have the spirit in common with believers And so to ask a bunch of unbelievers, what would make you happiest or give you the greatest church experience is going to produce a terribly unbiblical church that doesn't lead to spiritual growth, which is what, to Bill's credit, he acknowledged. He found that spiritual growth doesn't occur through doing what is most attractive to the customer. I think one of the worst ironies about the seeker-sensitive church is they actually tend to cause unbelievers to feel the opposite of the way they should feel when they come to church. Let me say this one more time. One of the great ironies with a seeker sensitive church is the seeker sensitive church leads unbelievers to feel the exact opposite way, oppositely of how they should feel when they come to church. And this brings us to lesson two. We don't want to be seeker sensitive because lesson two, we want unbelievers to be convicted. We don't want to be seeker sensitive because lesson two, we want unbelievers to be convicted. Let me get one thing out of the way so that it doesn't nag you as we discuss this lesson, or perhaps has already nagged you up to this point. When unbelievers come to church, we do want them to feel welcomed. We do want to be friendly to them. We even want to show them an amount of grace that we would not show to longtime members of the church. So, for example, if, if longtime believing friends come to church and perhaps they're dressed immodestly, or they're using crude language or their children are behaving in some unruly way assuming you you love those people and you care about them more, more than you care about the way you look to them or more than you care about your own popularity you're going to say something to them right you can say it gently but you're going to say something honestly like hey i don't i don't think that that skirt is appropriate or i don't think that that, that language that joke you told was the best or you know there is these things that i saw one of your children doing that's what you say when you care about people and then hopefully those people have the maturity to say well thank you enough for caring about me to share that with me but when unbelievers come to the church they get grace don't they 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 might be dressed immodestly they might use some language that makes us uncomfortable their kids might be behaving in an unruly way and we recognize they're just coming out of the world they're behaving like the world because they've been in the world we're not going to confront them about that we're not going to blow them out of the water we want them to hear the sermon we want them to come back the following week so that they can be convicted and so we we show them this grace but because we also want to see them become believers we also want them convicted of their sins so they repent of that sin and put their faith in Christ and I want to ask you to think about this for a moment have you ever considered that when unbelievers come in the church they should feel the exact same way in the church that believers should feel in worldly places or in worldly situations. Follow me for a moment. If unbelievers come into the church, they should feel convicted. And that is the exact same way that believers should feel if they're out in the world in ungodly or worldly places. For example, if you go into a bar and there's drunkenness, or you go into a club and it's filled with foul music or foul dancing, or you go to some movie and it's got compromising material, if you're a believer, you feel convicted. I mean, think about uh, last Sunday's sermon that Jake preached on Lot it's pretty easy to doubt lots salvation isn't it (laughs) if you didn't have second peter 2 8 saying this that righteous man referring to Lot, lived among them day after day and he was tormented in his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard so the fact that lot was tormented in sodom when the other inhabitants of sodom were comfortable and loved it there tells you that or is an evidence of Lot's salvation which otherwise you could pretty easily doubt but the point is when you had a believer in a terribly unrighteous or wicked situation he felt very convicted well similarly just like believers should be convicted in worldly places unbelievers should be convicted in holy places such as the church and we know this is the case because of the way the gospel sounds to believers versus unbelievers if you sit here today and you're a believer how does the gospel sound to you you love it it's refreshing. It is so encouraging. You love to be reminded of the truths of it. You love to hear sermons on it. You love to sing. You, you're moved to worship when you consider all that Christ has done for you. The, the, the gospel is the greatest sounding thing in, you, in your life. It becomes sweeter the longer you're alive. And what is the gospel like for the unbeliever? It is the exact opposite. It is convicting. It is condemning. It is offensive. 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing which is Paul's way of saying we are the aroma of Christ among those who are believers and among those who are unbelievers they can all smell us is what he's saying and he says to one a fragrance from death to death and to the other a fragrance from life to life now when Paul said we are the aroma of Christ he meant he and his traveling companions who are preaching the word or preaching to the, the gospel. To those people they met and he said that when people encountered us we smell one of two ways to them we we <laughs> smell great to believers the fragrance of life and to unbelievers we stink we are the fragrance of death first corinthians 1:18, the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god now if the word of the cross which is just another way of referring to the gospel sounds like folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, which is just another way to refer to unbelievers. What is going to happen when you construct a church or a church service around people who think the gospel is foolish? Just think about that for a moment and what a tragedy that is. To build a church service around people who hate the gospel, who find it offensive, you're going to have one of the most displeasing things in the Lord's sight. You're going to have people gathering together who should be worshiping God, who should be pleasing God, and instead it's going to be terribly displeasing in His sight. And because the gospel is foolish to unbelievers, seeker-sensitive churches are going to be discouraged from what? Preaching it. Or if they do preach it, they're going to preach it in this very soft way. They're going to massage it so the pointedness of it is removed they want to make it less offensive they want to make it more attractive they want to make it more palatable they want to ensure that the people who hear it want to come back the next week so we don't upset them we don't make them feel too bad but when the gospel is watered down so that the unbeliever is made to feel more comfortable which is the opposite of how he should be made to feel then the conviction is removed it's no longer the gospel the substance is taken out of it instead you just kind of have this hollow shell of something that because it's being presented or shared or preached in a church has convinced some number of people as the gospel but there's no substance to it there's, there's no truth to it and so because of that here's the irony the non-elect can't even reject it those people who will never be saved it doesn't even bring them to a decision in their lives it doesn't even ask them if they want to keep going this direction or go that direction because there's no there's no truth to it there's nothing behind that would, that would challenge their hearts and ask them if they want to keep living the lives they've been living or if they want to pick up their cross and follow Christ and so without that they can just continue the direction they've been going but now they're convinced that they're going to heaven because this is what this person said or because they're a good person who goes to church it is a really terrible tragedy it is a really terrible tragedy Bill Izzard said if we are obsessed with making our christian worship comfortable and non-offensive to unbelievers who hate god we are in danger of denying god and god's call to holy living are we justified in taking such a risk only that we may not offend surely christians are not to seek to offend but christ says those who follow him will be offensive it is it is unavoidable (laughs) John MacArthur said, and listen to this, he said, Churching the unchurched, churching the unchurched. So, literally, in a seeker sensitive church, the desire is to get a whole bunch of unbelievers together to worship God. And what is the irony of that? Unbelievers are the ones who cannot worship God. They have not been brought to life spiritually, they are unre- unregenerate, they're still dead in their trespasses and sins. In their own best effort, they can't please God until they're saved until they're brought to life spiritually so they're getting a bunch of spiritually dead people together to worship god it is it's not just ironic it is terribly tragic and john macarthur said churching the unchurched is an absolute fallacy it's like purposing to let the tears in it is absolutely bizarre to want to make unsaved people feel comfortable in a church the church is a group of worshiping redeemed and sanctified people among whom an unbeliever should feel either miserable convicted and drawn to christ or alienated and isolated only if the church hides its message and ceases to be what god designed the church to be can it make an unbeliever comfortable so really god forbid as we discuss the vision of our church that we would ever have church services where unbelievers were able to come in and say what i don't have to change i don't feel like anything needs to be different in my life i can continue everything the way that it has always been this is the this is the best i've ever felt i cannot wait to go back next week and be told all the other wonderful things about myself and so god forbid it would ever be like that we pray that unbelievers would come in and be convicted in one of jake's recent sermons not the one last week but i believe it was the one before that and i wrote him and i received his permission uh, to reshare this he sent me the notes and i'm just going to read some of them you. he said he talked about maybe some of you remember he's sitting in the back row of this church at the age of 23 and he's about to hear his very first sermon and sitting next to him is his high school sweetheart kelly whom he's living with unmarried and he says he's never heard the gospel before he doesn't know who jesus is, never stepped inside a church except for weddings and funerals through the providence of god the message preached that morning talked about fornication and the sinfulness of it He becomes convicted the message was about god's hatred and wrath for sexual sin Uh, and so he becomes convinced that he's no longer a good person he says like most i believed i was a good person i thought that god would be pleased with me that i had taken the time to go to church that day but as i sat hearing the word of god preached i became aware of just how displeased god was with me the preacher said the wages for my sin was death that was stunning to me i wanted to melt into my seat or find an excuse to leave you must understand every word this man spoke it rang true in my ears it was like the lord himself was speaking to me at one point i remember looking up at the other people around me sitting there smiling and i thought how can they smile am i the only one this message has condemned irrationally i believe that was true i was the only one there who had violated god's law and deserved death but then thank god i could find a way you know through the gospel of jesus christ to repent from his sins and be saved i left that church a different person than when i entered now think about this for a moment the reason i'm sharing this with you imagine jake had went into a seeker sensitive church that morning imagine there had been some watered down soft message about prosperity that lacked any real conviction now god's still sovereign he could have still (laughs) saved jake but i doubt it would have happened that morning And my testimony is very similar to Jake's. The first time I went with with, went to a Christian church was with was with a girlfriend as well. I was convinced good people go to heaven, and which actually, I was convinced good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell, which is actually true if you understand there's only been one good person and all of us are bad people, right? But I didn't. That wasn't the belief that I had at that time. I happened to think that I was in the category of good people, which I most definitely was not. And so when I went to church, I learned that all of us are sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. I learned that I was under the condemnation of God. And so at that moment, any sort of self-preservation in me uh, initiates a search for forgiveness to be saved from that judgment, that wrath that that I felt was bearing down on me rc sproul said one does not structure the church to meet the felt needs and desires of unbelievers the purpose of corporate assembly is for the people of god to come together corporately to offer their sacrifices of praise and worship to god so the first rule of worship is that it be designed for believers to worship god in a way that pleases god let me read this last sentence one more time the first rule of worship is that it be designed for believers to worship God in a way that pleases God. I, I almost can't help but think about, I think it's Leviticus 10 with Nadab and Abihu. Remember Aaron's sons that thought that they were going to approach God and worship him as they desired? How many times might situations like that happen every Lord's Day across the country in, in what would be called Christian churches as people are just bringing the profane fire, or profane offering that they, that they want that they would think please god when it does nothing more than displease him so Sproul was making the point the worship service is primarily for believers and this brings us to lesson three we don't want to be seeker sensitive because lesson three we want believers equipped and sanctified we want believers equipped and sanctified so when we talk about the vision of our church this is one of the fundamental issues the focus Of the lord's day worship service or the focus of the worship service when we come together corporately like this now in seeker sensitive churches the focus is taken off believers and it is put on unbelievers and i'm absolutely convinced that this is a reversal of god's plan for the church or a reversal of god's plan for the worship service now let me ask you something when the focus is taken off believers and it's put on unbelievers what happens to the believers in that church how are they left feeling empty unsatisfied I believe it produces spiritually emaciated spiritually starving spiritually thirsty believers you have believers who come to church spiritually hungry and thirsty wanting that spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied because they crave different things than unbelievers do and they're left feeling unsatisfied not being fed let me show you a passage that makes much of this clear turn to ephesians 4. we'll look at one verse um, and then we'll have to look a couple chapters to left look in verse 11 with me Paul says that Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are the primary offices in the church, in the New Testament church. Now, with that in mind, briefly look to the left at Ephesians 2.20 because we know apostles and prophets are not a continuing office. Look at Ephesians 2.20. So to make this clear in Ephesians four eleven we saw I believe it's four some people see five but four offices apostles prophets evangelists shepherds and teachers but many people believe shepherds and teachers should be hyphenated so it's shepherd teachers or pastor teachers but in Ephesians two twenty look at this it says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone now if you've already read Ephesians four eleven did you notice that some of the offices that are mentioned in Ephesians 4:11 are missing from Ephesians 2:20? And why is that? Because in Ephesians 2:20, Paul is talking about the foundation of the church. And you don't have to be in construction to know that a foundation doesn't go up to the second, third, and fourth floors, right? So in early church history, or when the church was being built, the apostles and prophets are the ones who laid this foundation. They were the that's why in the book of Acts you see uh so much importance associated with those men who occupied those two offices because they were laying that foundation but then you reach timothy and titus and he said well, where where are the qualifications for apostles where are the qualifications for prophets you don't see that anymore because they just laid the foundation we don't get together and el- as elders and say you know who do we think is going to be our next apostle You know, who looks like they might be called to occupy the office of prophet like those men in the Old Testament? Instead, we see qualifications for elders and deacons because those are the continuing offices that build or keep building the church, those subsequent floors above that foundation. Now, with that in mind, look back in Ephesians 4 to see what these crucial offices were supposed to do in the church age verse 12 it says okay sorry pause i want to read the verses kind of quickly because i want you to catch the theme i could get bogged down in them but i want to go through them quickly so that it sort of washes over you the theme of these verses and notice the repetition on growth maturity building up so verse 12 it says these offices are supposed to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for building up the body of christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the son of god and then here it is again to mature manhood or we could say womanhood as well to the measure of the stature or growth of the fullness of christ verse 14 so that we may no longer be children spiritually speaking we have grown into adults spiritually tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes verse 15 rather speaking the truth in love we are to here it is again grow up in every way into him who's the head into christ verse 16 from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love you can't miss the emphasis on what growth maturity building up stature no longer be child, being children and this is what the officers of the church are supposed to do or focus on equipping the Saints for the work of the ministry it's kind of an interesting thing if people learn I'm a pastor they'll say oh so you're in the ministry and I kind of cringe because I want to say well actually I'm supposed to equip others <laughs> for the work of the ministry because what you're saying makes it sound as though pastors are in ministry and the rest of the church isn't but that's not what this says this actually says that church leaders have the responsibility to equip others for that work and this is actually where unbelievers come in because up to this point you could be saying well, I know there's a great commission I know the unbelievers must hear the gospel I was saved later in life so I'm one of those people who's very thankful that there were equipped saints who came and shared the gospel with me and so you kind of say, well, where do, where do these unbelievers fit in where does the gospel Or where does the Great Commission come in? There must be some concern for the lost, or some concern for, let's say, seekers. And there is. Verse 12. Verse 12 says to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, and part of that ministry is what? Sharing the gospel with the lost, with unbelievers. Mark Dever said, What we need most are seeker-sensitive lives or seeker-sensitive Christians, not seeker-sensitive services. And so the idea is this. You are built up, uh, equipped sanctified when we come together corporally, uh we're I'm thankful we're resuming Sunday School or whether through our home fellowships any of the corporate gatherings of the church whether in the building here or in homes in the building on the Lord's Day or in homes during the week you're being equipped and sanctified so that you can then go out and share the gospel with others right so that you can go into your neighborhood your community your job your workplace your store and then share christ with others in fact part of the idea is you would be so built up or sanctified because what is sanctification it's nothing except becoming more like christ that you would be sanctified and then go out and people would see christ through you that you would in a sense be a living walking testimony of christ to others so you would have the opportunity to be able to share the gospel with them i'll give you an analogy if you've ever flown on a plane they always tell you that when the mass if has anyone ever been on a plane and the mass dropped down before I've never been in that situation I'm, I'm sure a fairly terrifying one but they always tell you that you've got to do if you especially if you got children with you what do you need to do first which is pretty, kind of counterintuitive you got to put your own mask on now I I believe that m- mothers especially have to be told that <laughs> because if those masks came down i bet there's mothers who would be turning blue trying to get the mask on their children before they put a mask on themselves right and the airline industry recognizes that when that mask, when that mother p- passes out that the rest of the children because they must have large families in mind when they give us this instruction right that the rest of those children aren't going to get the mask on that they need and so they say you need to put that mask on yourself first because you're not going to be any good to anyone else unless you are strong healthy and it's really the same in the church you're not going to be much help to the spiritually dead if you're spiritually alive and it is our responsibility as elders to equip you and sanctify you that you can be spiritually strong so you could say if the church is not being fed the word of god then how is the church going to go out and live the word of god how will the church share the word of god with others and i'll be honest with you i think i don't know if i maybe i'm wrong and maybe i'll disagree that i have this view later i really think a lot of this just has to do with laziness i think a lot of this has to do with laziness i think there are churches that tell their people you just go ahead and you invite those people to church but you don't have to share the gospel with them you don't have to tell them about christ you don't have to be uncomfortable one of the things that i've really appreciated with pastor nathan and jill is he as they have communicated this is your responsibility you can bring them to church here please invite them but you're the ones that need to take these tracks i mean there was announcements where pastor nathan week after week was giving us counsel about how to pass out tracks to other people and i just think it's not attractive in other churches they want to tell people hey you just invite them to church but you don't need to share the gospel with them yourself well pastor nathan has been saying you're the one who has been equipped to go out you can reach much further than we can as a church and share the gospel with those people around you so here's what here's uh kind of another irony what is actually in the best interest of unbelievers spiritually mature believers it is in the best interest of unbelievers because then they can be reached if the church is equipping and sanctifying believers so they can be spiritually strong so that they can go out into their communities and neighborhoods and stores and everything else and it is a tremendous paradigm shift when a church is told that it is not our responsibility to evangelize but it is your responsibility in other words the evangelism doesn't come from the pulpit the evangelism comes from the pews when you go out and share christ with those around you which i think is not just more effective but is the biblical the biblical pattern we see so as we look to the future and we think about the vision of within Christian Church this is why we want to equip and sanctify Saints this is why we don't want to be seeker sensitive and I want to conclude by sharing this quote from Jay Delaney that summarizes things very well he said when the church's regular worship services are redesigned as seeker services to emphasize evangelism the result is the saints are hearing the gospel 52 sundays per year and are not being built up in the faith redesigning the main church service in order to appeal to the lost is a departure from god's plan it may be attractive to men and it may add to the numbers But isn't it a better idea to design the church and worship services after the pattern set by the one truly responsible for the increase, God himself, Jesus said, I will build my church? The biblical pattern is that the regular meetings of the church, such as we're having now, were primarily for the believers and not for the lost. When the gathering of the saints was over, then evangelism was to begin in earnest. So... You've received your commission right (laughs) the commission is take what you're equipped and sanctified with here take the gospel as you receive it and share it with those who are around you Amen? amen father we thank you for the way you have designed things so much better so much wiser than we would come up with in our own in our own effort or our own wisdom we recognize that our wisdom is really foolishness lord and so I thank you for what you've outlined whether it's in the book of acts or it's in the epistles for the way the church would be conducted that we would be that we would be holy that we would have worship services filled with redeemed sanctified regenerate people who love christ and are moved to worship him out of thankfulness and then we would leave built up to share the gospel with others lord and i pray that's the vision we would embrace and the the vision that we would walk in uh, for years to come help us as elders to uh, share and to promote this vision, and I pray that it would be embraced and then carried out by the people in this church. We thank you so much for Christ and what he's done, and we see it as as uh, as an act of worship to share about him with others. Lord, give us opportunities. Help us to do so faithfully, and we pray these things in his name. Amen.